Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! We have a very special special preacher today. We have Joey. So he was here. Yeah, that's right. Last August, he was able to preach on Noah, and so now he's going to be back again. Now, today's message in particular, when Kyle told me, he said, hey, Joey preached, oh, awesome. What's he preaching on? He told me the passage. It's Genesis 14. This is a particularly difficult passage. There's a lot going on, and it's crazy that at 18 years old, he's able to work through the passage like he has. Now, you guys are going to see, if it's an iceberg, you're seeing just the tip. But he's done the work, and he knows everything that's going on below. He's dug so deep into this passage, and he's done a great job. What he has to share today is incredible, that he's been able to do all this work all by himself. And so we're really proud of him and excited for you to hear what he has to share. So, while he comes on up, let's pray together for him. Father, thank you for this time that we get to be together. Thank you so much for a man like Joey, who has taken seriously your word, who wants to be able to know it better and share it with others. I pray that as he's sharing what you've prepared in his heart, that he can see clearly what you're trying to communicate, first to him, and then to all of us in this room and those watching online. So, Father, bless him. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Good morning, guys. A lot of people here. I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. It's good. I'm glad to see you guys. Thanks for coming out. Um, I'm excited to preach this. I'm excited to preach this. Thank you, Tim, for all the help that you've given me. And Kyle, if you're seeing this, thank you for letting me take the stage for today. I hope you're doing well. All right. So last week, Kyle preached on Genesis chapter 13. And that chapter really kind of sets up what happens here in Genesis 14. Now, in that chapter, Abraham and Lot are trying to find a place of land where they can just go and settle down with all their possessions. Now, the problem is that both, each of them, have way too many possessions, stuff, wealth, whatever it is, and they're fighting with one another, and their shepherds are fighting with one another, so they come up with a solution. And Lot, selfishly, looks to the, over to far, far out to that well-watered land, and he decides, oh, I'm going to go and take that land, selfishly. And then, there's a problem because of this. It's in Sodom. And Sodom is not a good place. In fact, in Genesis 13, specifically verse 13, it says that the people were described as wicked and they were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now, this creates a huge problem, which we're going to get into today. Now, there was a lot of sin back then, and still a lot of sin today, but there was a lot of good back then, and there's still a lot of good today. And a lot of good people in the Bible. Heroes. We would call people heroes that do a lot of good, right? And in the Bible, we call them heroes of the faith. Now, some examples of that would be Moses. He's probably the biggest hero to the Jewish people. He led the Israelites out of enslavement in Egypt. We have another one like Noah, which I preached on last August. He was faithful to God, and he built this massive ark, and basically got saved all of humanity on there, with God's help, of course, and all the animals and all of that. And then we have David, who's the greatest king in Israel's history. He defeated Goliath with just a sling and a stone, trusted God so much, and the Bible even labels him as a man after God's own heart. But without a doubt, and there's not even an argument here, so don't try, Jesus is the greatest hero, by far and away. He's the only person to defeat death. He died for our sins. 
He changed the entire world, like flipped it upside down. All humanity has been changed since then. And he's really the one that the Bible tells the story of. He is the Messiah. Well, I looked at all these heroes. What are some qualities that make a hero? Well, you could say they're brave, they're bold, selfless, definitely. Really, for a biblical hero of the faith, it's anyone who picks up the phone when God calls them, right? It's anyone who lives out God's calling on their life. Now, today, we're going to be focusing on someone who's not really new. You guessed it, it's Abram. And Abram really puts on the case today, he really takes on the hero role. He defeats rebellious kings, he rescues his nephew Lot from being held hostage. And I guess you could say what we're going to go into today is kind of like the ancient biblical version of Saving Private Ryan. Now, before I get into it, this chapter is really interesting because for the first time, biblical events are actually lining up with external history. So outside of the Bible, we actually have like archaeological evidence found of what takes place here in this chapter. So the first 12 verses of Genesis 14 are actually really dense, really confusing. There's a lot of names, so if I mispronounce a name, uh, bear with me. It's a tongue twister. So I'm just going to give you the shortened, oversimplified version of Genesis 14, verses 1 through 12. So what you need to know is that there's nine total kings, and they're separated into two groups. Now when I say kings, these are not like the kings we might think of. Think of it more like the mayor of Boston going to war against the mayor of New York City. That's more what we're going on, what's going on here. So there's two groups, like I said. One was a group of five kings, and I'm going to refer to this group as just the king of Sodom because he was the leader of this group. Now there was another group, a group of four kings, and this was headed by some dude with a very exotic name, Kedor Baomer. So I'm just going to call him Big C. We're going to call him Big C. So it's going to be Big C versus the king of Sodom. Now, Big C has been controlling Sodom for 12 years. And Sodom, the king of Sodom does not like this very much. So, in the 13th year, he stages a revolt with his buddies. He's like, guys, come on, we got to go against Big C. So, they do that, and the revolt fails. They fail. So then a year later, Big C decides to go down south and attack a bunch of little smaller tribal communities. While they're doing this, the king of Sodom thinks it's a good idea now to go and do a sneak attack on Big C. But they lose the sneak attack. So they've lost two years in a row against Big C. And while this is happening, Big C decides to go back up north, rampage through Sodom, and while he does this, Lot is captured. Lot is now held hostage by Big C and his buddies. So here we go. That's, that's the big conflict for today. That's what's going to kind of lead us into the rest of the story. And you have to imagine that these four kings, Big C, has to feel absolutely unstoppable right now. And it is really easy to become filled with hubris after victory and victory and triumph and triumph. The story's only just beginning, though. So this is where the epic mission of saving law begins. Ladies and gentlemen, this is saving private law. Now, in verse 13, it says, One of the survivors came and told Abram the Hebrew, who lived near the oaks, belonging to Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eskel and the brother of Anur. They were bound by a treaty with Abram. So it's just these three dudes. They told Abram that, hey, your nephew's been captured. And they were bound by some sort of treaty with him. So now in verse 14, it says, When Abram heard that his relative had been taken prisoner, he assembled his 318 trained men, born in his household, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now Dan is just kind of a northern region of this valley that they're all fighting in. Immediately, without hesitation, Abram jumps into action here to go and rescue his nephew Lot, which is crazy because just two chapters ago, we read about Abram giving up his wife to Pharaoh 
saying, pretend to be my sister so they don't kill me. And he just gives her away. He does an awful job of protecting his family. But it seems that there's been a change in heart for Abram. Now, I want to point out these 318 trained men were most likely servants, his servants, and then sons of his servants. And this indicates Abram's already great wealth. So he's had a change of heart. He's very wealthy already. And like I said earlier, Lot has been really difficult with Abram. Really difficult with Abram. Selfishly choosing the land that looked better, and now he's captured and held hostage because he was too stubborn to leave Sodom while he could. So, what does it say now in verse 15? And he and his servants, deployed against him by night, defeated them and pursued them as far as Oba to the north of Damascus. So he defeats Big C and his troops and pursues them farther up north. That's crazy! In a night? What? And I guess what this shows is Abram's leadership skills and his ability to lead a lot of men into battle, which is interesting because he has no previous military training or leadership or anything of that nature. And to put this into perspective for you guys, imagine Abram is like your uncle, probably your least favorite uncle, the uncle that you see once a year, he shows up for Thanksgiving for like an hour, gives you a fist bump, says what's up, asks the same questions over and over, and then he leaves. Imagine that uncle leading a small army of men, going all SEAL Team 6 and saving you who was held hostage by some powerful king. That's how just outrageous this is. But what does that show? I think that just shows God's plan and how God is able to make what seems impossible possible. So now verse 16, it says that he brought back all the goods in his relative Lot and his goods, as well as the woman and the other people. So not only does Abram save Lot here, but he gets all Lot's belongings back, all his possessions, wealth, and a lot of the citizens that were also captured. Abram is totally victorious here. And I said it earlier about Big C. I'm going to say it again now about Abram. It is very easy to become filled with hubris after a victory like this one. So now... A very famous example of hubris, one that we probably all know of, is the story of the Titanic. Now, one of the employees of the company that built the Titanic, in quote, said, not even God could sink this ship. Not even God could sink this ship, and it, it sunk. So, um, that's what hubris can do. You're, just, you're not cautious. I don't know. It's awful. It was truly awful what happened, though. But hubris can lead to a lot of bad problems in your own life. For example, poor relationships. No one wants to be around someone who's arrogant all the time thinking they're better than everybody else. Bad work ethic. And then you having bad work ethic leads to poor quality of the work that you're doing. People don't like that either. And then, to take that one step further, missed opportunities to grow. While you're here thinking you don't need to change, everyone else is just going to go right by you. And you're going to get frustrated. It's easy to become filled with hubris. So now, verse 17. This is, this is where the real center of the story takes place. And this verse is really important, and I want you guys to remember it for later. So it says, After Abram returned from defeating Kabor Leomer, Big C, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom is now back. He went out to meet him in the Shabbat Valley, that is the king's valley. Boom. So the beginning of verse 17 is really what's important, where it says, Abram returned from defeating Kabor Leomer. Abram defeated Kabor Leomer, Big C. So now in verse 18 it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High. So out of the blue, we're introduced to this very mysterious character, Melchizedek, and there's not a lot of information on him. He's only mentioned two other times throughout the rest of the Bible. The first time, 
in Psalm 110, verse 4. And in that verse, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. We are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So that's kind of like a prophetic verse in, in a way. And then he's not mentioned again for the rest of the Bible until Hebrews chapters 5 through 7, which we'll touch on in a minute. So his name, Melchizedek, alone means king of righteousness. He's the king of Salem, which is the original Jerusalem, which is a fun fact. And as Salem alone means peace, so he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. And then it said at the end of verse 18 that he's a priest to the God Most High. So he's three things. King of righteousness, king of priests, and priest, king of priests, king of peace, and priest to the God Most High. Very rarely was a king also a priest. In fact, Melchizedek is the only dude who at the same time is a king and a priest. Kind of the only guy. Because really, Jesus is that other guy. If you guys don't know what a priest is, I didn't know what a priest was either when I was doing this. I just didn't grow up around it. So a priest's job is to basically intercede on our behalf to God. In the Old Testament, they would handle the sacrifice, the sacrificing of like an animal to pay the debt for our sin. So now, going back to Hebrews chapters 5 through 7, in these chapters, it refers to Psalm 110, verse 4. And basically what it says is that Jesus is the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He is king, and he does sit on the throne of God, and he is the one who defeated death, and he is the humblest servant, which allows him to fulfill the order of Melchizedek. And the reason he can fulfill the order of Melchizedek is because where Melchizedek did X, Y, and Z, Jesus did X, Y, and Z all better. And the Jewish idea of perfection, the idea to be perfect was to be complete. So where Melchizedek wasn't able to do completion, per se, Jesus was, and Jesus was perfect from birth in a manger to death in a sacrificial way on a cross. Jesus is the humblest servant. Now the bottom line for today that I want you guys to remember, and I want to remember for myself as I go about my own life, is that the greatest heroes are the humblest servants. The greatest heroes are the humblest servants. Earlier, I listed biblical heroes and qualities that go along with them. Humility, I left out. And I would argue that humility is the most important quality out of all of them. Now, in these next couple verses, Abram is about to go through two tests. The first one, remember how I said I wanted you guys to remember verse 17? Well, it's coming back here. In that verse, to just remind you guys, it says, After Abram returned from defeating Kabor Leomer, big C, the narrative is about to totally change from Abram defeating it to something else. So in verse 19, Melchizedek is speaking, and it says, He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Now this next verse is very important. And blessed be God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. Blessed be God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. Does Abram respond to that? Well, it finishes verse 20 by saying, And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That would have been a totally normal reaction for Abram to have been like, no, 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 I, I defeated them. I led the men. I did all the work. But he doesn't. Abram was humble enough to accept the fact that really it was God who delivered his enemies to him. And then on top of that, Abram would tithe. He would tithe and give 10% of everything he owned to Melchizedek. And most likely, Melchizedek was not going to squander all this 
possessions and wealth that Abram just gave him, and it was the best way for Abram to give back to God. Like Kyle said last Sunday, by trusting God, it allows Abram to be generous. So he passed the first test, flying colors. Now he's about to go into his second test, and in this test, Abram now has to decide whether or not he'll stay the course on God's plan, or he'll give in to what's tempting him. So in verse 21, it says, Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but take the possessions for yourself. Take the possessions for yourself. There's a lot of resemblance here, especially to the Garden of Eden, where the serpent came down with Eve, just eat the fruit, take the knowledge, it's all yours. Did God really say you can't do that? Or even when Jesus was being tempted while he was fasting, he came and said, Oh, look at this, I'll give you all of this. Well, how does Abram respond to this? He says in verse 22, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or scandal strap or anything that belongs to you. This next part is really important. So you can never say, I made Abram rich. Verse 24, I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten, but as for the share of the men who came with me, Amir, Eskel, Mamre, they can take their share. Now that last verse 24 really speaks to the generosity of Abram. Now, in the face of making a decision, in the face of temptation, Abram chose the higher road. He chose to continue to give glory to God. So you can never say, I made Abram rich, so the wicked king of Sodom could not make Abram rich. God did. Now, I know that I said, I said that Abram goes through two tests, but I would argue that he actually goes through three tests here. This third one is kind of more of an internal test within himself. How so? Well... It appears that God not only revealed himself to Abram with the covenant and the promise, right? But at some point, the Bible doesn't really get into it, but at some point, he revealed himself to Melchizedek as well. And it's clear that Melchizedek is closer to God than Abram is. Now Abram has to realize that he is not God's plan, but he's just a part of God's plan. Abram is not the end-all, be-all. Even though God makes the promise to Abram that he'll be the father of great nations, right? But really what this is, a story of my life, a story of all the heroes in the Bible, everyone's life, it's a story about what God did. It's not a story about what, here in this case, Abram did. Abram just happens to be the main character. Because the reality is, we can't do everything on our own without God. And it takes humility to realize that God has a plan bigger than us that we can even understand. And I would argue that this is a good thing. That this should take a lot of weight off our shoulders. That we don't have to feel like we have to do everything alone. Right? We can walk with God and do this life. And we can rely on God. God knows what's going to happen. Or He knows what's going to happen to you later. His plan is bigger than our fear. God's plan is bigger than our fear. And God knows a lot about humility. He knows a lot about humility. And nobody knew more about humility than Jesus did. Now, there's this poem in Philippians 2, and I just wanted to read it, and it really speaks to the idea of Jesus' humility throughout his life. So it starts in chapter 2, verse 5, and then we're going to end it in verse 11. And it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. That's a hero, guys. If that's not a hero, then I have no idea what a hero is. With his humility and his willingness to serve, just fulfill his plan and his worthiness. Now, we know that Abram was humble. We saw his humility in those couple of verses. And we know that Jesus certainly was humble and had humility. But why should we be humble? Why should we have humility? Why is that for Well, there's a verse in Proverbs. I just want to read it quick. And it's in chapter 16, verse 18. And it says, Pride comes before destruction, and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Now, I want to share a story with you guys. It's not always easy to share these stories, but I want to share it anyway, because it's recent and fresh in my own life. So, if you guys know me, I went back to go play football for my senior year. I hadn't played since eighth grade. Big regret of mine, skipping all those years. Big regret. And I love football. I could play it all day. I could talk about it all day, whatever. So, I had gone into the season thinking that I had a spot lined up for me. I used to make the all-star team every year. Like, it was, it was just basically a guarantee. So I was like, oh, yeah, I got a spot lined up for me. Well, the reality is I didn't get that spot. I don't know why I thought that. So I was a little kind of mad with God about that. Then I hurt my back early in the year. I was out for the first three weeks. I was mad at God about that. Never really got my shot throughout the season. I was mad at God about that. When I finally got my shot, it was senior night, and I played third quarter till the end. And I, I actually really did play really well. And you can watch the film, but... But I didn't really get a shot after that, and I was mad at God for that. I had really poor experiences with the coaches, and I was mad at God for that. And then, ultimately, all this built-up anger that I had going on, it kind of made me feel distant from God. And I was mad at God for feeling distant from Him, which is ironic, because, I don't know. But anyway, my arrogance, really, the point of the story is that my arrogance was not allowing me to see the plan that God had for me in this season of my life. When I thought the plan was supposed to go my way, I was supposed to have a great season, I should have been okay with it going God's way. Because he had a purpose different than what I expected. And after the season ended, I learned a lot from that. And naturally, I just want to reiterate that it was my arrogance that was separating me from God. And I was making being a good football player my identity and not being a follower of Jesus Christ my identity. And while there was a lot of poor experiences in the season, I also had a lot of cool experiences. I was able to, and fortunate enough, to lead the team in prayer before every game. And the whole team would circle up in the backfield and we would just pray to God. And it, it was awesome. It really was awesome. And after that, I got to have a lot of cool conversations with a lot of the kids about God. Their questions, their stories, whatever it may have been. I just didn't expect that to go to happen, and I didn't see the meaningness of that until the end. The reality was that God's plan was just, it was just better than my plan. I said it earlier, and I just want to reiterate it again, that there's a lot of problems with hubris and pride, or arrogance, overconfidence, poor relationships. No one wants to be around someone who's arrogant all the time. And then you're going to have that inability to learn to grow. You're going to be here, everyone's going to go right on by you. And you're going to create distance between you and God. It happened to me. It happened to me. And then ultimately, when you're growing distant from God and you're having poor relationships, if you're always super overconfident, you're going to feel isolated. You're going to feel alone. No one wants to feel that way. So the question is, what if Abram fought Melchizedek on the idea that God handed his enemies over to him? What if he said, no, 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 I did it, I did it, I led them. What if he had just too much pride and believed it was all him? Well, the reality is that Abram didn't. 
and that Abram was humble enough to realize it was God, and in return, he received a blessing from Melchizedek, but really from God. So this begs the question, how good are we at accepting help with our humility? It can be really hard to ask for help. Not everyone wants to do it. I know it's hard for myself, too. And we live in New England. Everyone's all set all the time. Right, Kyle? But also, even Jesus had help. Jesus had his 12 disciples to help him complete the plan that he had in his mission here on earth. So the bottom line for today is, I want you guys to remember this, that the greatest heroes are the humblest servants. The greatest heroes are the humblest servants. Let's pray, guys. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I just pray that you be with us and you lead us along, God, and you show us why humility is important. We all, striving as Christians, want to live like you, Jesus. We want to live like you, and you were the most humblest one out of all of us. So I just pray that we're able to live the way that you did and that you lead us along and be with us, God, and just shine your light in our lives. All right. Thank you, Jerry, so much. Can we give him a round of applause? Just show my thanks. Uh, Jerry did a great job. Now, that passage is heavy, and yet he made it totally applicable for us today. The greatest heroes are the humblest servants. So how are we going to do that this week? All right. Well, thank you, guys. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.